This is The Causes of Things, and I'm your host, Michael O'Fallon. It is July 1st, 2020. The world is being coerced, violently shoved, and manipulated into an exponential revolution that is specifically targeted to deconstructing our current systems. And the reason for all of this massive, all-encompassing deconstruction is because those that wish to force their totalitarian, intrusive, manipulative, mind-controlling, liberty-stealing, constitution-ending, Faith system transforming, nation destroying systems is that the deconstructionists are trying to convince you that our old system has led to unsustainable challenges and problems, such as problems with inequality, a lack of diversity, and the meritocratic system as opposed to an equity based system that they think that we need today. They wish to convince you that. We need a new beginning, a great reset on everything in our society and personal lives. And for many years, they have been creating alternative systems right underneath your nose that have no resemblance to our current systems. You know, the ones that you have taken an oath to, the ones that you have voted upon. To replace, without your knowledge or without your input, what would be a democratic process of change based on our current systems to safeguard our current way of life? By creating a crisis where there is none, or by problematizing, criticizing, Using critical theories, methodologies in every aspect of our lives, such as education, medicine, faith, transportation, science, math, sexuality, family structures, communities, everything. They are here to change everything without your vote, without your consent, and without discussion. Let's just bypass all that Congress and legislature and president thing. The monsters, which to name a few are folks like Klaus Schwab, Al Gore, Christine Lagarde, Jack Ma, Mark Carney, Saidia Saheed, Eric Schmidt, and many, many others are playing a game of systemic change. But you didn't know it. You thought you'd have an opportunity to vote on something like this. You see, in their eyes, you are simply chess pieces. You are avatars. You are the deplorable ants that need to be directed and controlled to usher in new systems. Strange systems. You see, in their eyes, our old systems, those that have safeguarded life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness 
those systems that safeguard individual rights, those systems that safeguard the autonomous concept of a democratic republic, where the voice of the one in harmony with the voice of the many in a republican form of government that respects the sovereign will of the people. You see, that is the old system. Because, you know, average people are stupid. The intelligentsia, which really are the monsters, know so much more than you, and they have the new system that is ready to be implemented. Now, mind you, the new system is going to make sure that you stay at a certain level, but the monsters, the intelligentsia, oh, they will succeed. They just have to push the system in with or without your permission, deceiving you and manipulating the entire world along the way, destroying our economy along the way. That old economy that was working so well until February, you know, five months ago. Just trash that old thing and all of your old dreams and old plans. That of yours, the dreams of yours, and the dreams of your children, and the dreams of your friends. Destroy it all. Deconstruct it all. Deconstruct it and criticize it down to the bone. And replace it with what you have been planning for years. The new system. A system that doesn't give two hoots about what your opinion is. See, because you're a bigot, a fascist, a filthy capitalist who only seeks the good of yourself and the good for those who are close to you. And even though the new system that is coming will prohibit your children from having a natural biological family, as you have had, well, that's just the price of progress in the new system, in the Great Reset. You see, the average person in Nebraska, Florida, Arizona, New York, or Georgia is just not capable of thinking on the same wavelength as the new intelligentsia that has much better ideas than you do about how to run your life and about how to run your state, about how to run your nation, about how to run your world and certainly knows much better than you do about how to plan your future and the future of your children from here on. And this is already fully laid out. It has been for years. It is hiding in plain sight. It's just that no one is referring to it or that everyone still thinks that this is a Democrat versus Republican issue. It isn't. There's plenty of Democrats and Republicans that are fully aware of what's happening. There are even those that are very close to the president that know exactly what's going on. And as a matter of fact, they're involved in pushing it. But those categories won't even exist in a few years, Republican or Democrat, if the trans-civilizationists get their way. Now, keep in mind, the rules will not apply for the Davos man or the Davos woman or for those that are the engineers and architects of the new system. But for you, proletariat citizen of the new oligarchical technocracy, you just need to do as you are told. 
do not question the revolution and shelter in place as the entire world is changed around you. You know, because like, like the virus and all, you know. And you know, the lack of melanin in your skin means that you are complicit in the old system. In other words, they're being racist. You know, the system that must be abolished. So the language that must be used to usher in a completely new system must center around everything being about systems. And that is the primary reason why you're hearing the pundits, priests, and priestesses who want to usher in the new woke intersectional social justice digital system saying that everything is about systemic issues. But first they have to criticize our current systems out of existence. Criticize them at every opportunity, even creating fertile fallacies that will facilitate and give momentum to their narrative. Education, sexuality, health, policing, governmental systems, the church, faith, everything must be deconstructed and criticized out of existence. All systems must be burnt to the ground. All old systems must be shown to have systemic problems, even though our old systems in a democratic fashion, work. But to them, every current system must be problematized. Now, when I say problematize something, that means to look for, identify, manufacture, and or expose the problematics in the old system or anything associated with the old system. Problematics are invented ways in which the phenomenon, entity, person, circumstance, object, etc., under examination critically, fall short of the new agenda that necessarily lies at the heart of the critical theory examining it, by definition of a critical theory, which must be normative against what it sees as oppression. And so by criticizing literally everything, you know, pancake syrup, rice boxes, even house descriptions such as the master bedroom, the rabid social justice critic must seek out and find those systemic things and how those systemic things might marginalize, exclude, minoritize, harm, cause oppression, or maintain hegemonic dominance and injustice through the machinations of, and here it comes, systemic power. Now, the commentary on systemic power, as stated in the Social Justice Encyclopedia, located at New Discourses, reads as follows. Power is the chief interest and preoccupation of critical social justice. And the theory of social justice exists specifically to give a critical analysis of power, which it understands in a systemic sense. That is, critical social justice believes power to be an intrinsic part of society, and its operation, and it considers power to be at the root of all interactions between individuals and groups in society. Moreover, power is not to be thought of in the sense of the way one individual might attempt to control another individual, or even in the sense of politics, so much as it is a complicated set of social forces generated and transmitted by all of us at once that controls how people think vote, believe, act, identify, and so on. The main purpose of power, according to critical social justice, is for the powerful to impose their ideas and interests on everyone. 
Power in social justice is often understood in two senses, which have largely fused but are technically distinct, neo-Marxist and postmodern. The neo-Marxist understanding of power follows from theorists like Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist, and the critical theorists of the Frankfurt School, who were also largely communist in their orientation. These generally believed that liberal society itself had somehow cheated us of the predicted communist revolution and sought to find out why and how and to do something about it if they could. They concluded that the Marxist analysis of power as deriving primarily from economic forces was not correct and that social forces and social conditioning were much more influential. These came from state interests, capitalist interests, and the rise of a popular culture that was neither the previous high culture, bourgeois, or low culture, proletariat, and the explicit and tacit conclusion of these influences, which they therefore sought to criticize and change. Thus, they advocated combining Freudian psychoanalysis into Marxian thought to find an answer to why so many everyday people supported fascism. This understanding owes most of its formulation to a single theorist named Michel Foucault, whom, by the way, on a sideline, we have talked about extensively on this program. Michel Foucault, who presented the novel belief that power and knowledge are two aspects of the same phenomenon, which he called power-knowledge. Foucault was also particularly interested in the way the reputation of the knowledge-producing power of science was able to be used, often inaccurately and unjustly, which he referred to as biopower. Finally, Foucault was instrumental in developing the idea that power, indeed hegemony, just as described by Gramsci decades prior, works through society as it works through everybody, like a grid, in terms of how it defines people and groups as legitimate knowers, thus people with access to influence and power. This he saw as mediated through discourses, and on a side note again, and hence why Dr. Lindsay's new work is called New Discourses. And discourses are how we speak about things and understand ideas to be legitimate or not. Social justice, as we understand it today, is largely a marriage of the epistemology, or the understanding of knowledge, developed under postmodernism and the ethical imperative of neo-Marxist critical activism. Although postmodern ethics, which would be cultural relativism and a certain anti-normativity, also play a highly significant role. The role of power and hegemony within these discourses was further developed by another postmodern, post-structuralist philosopher, a name that those of you on the causes of things would find quite familiar. His name was Jacques Derrida, who encouraged deconstruction as the tool for unmaking these structural problems. Systemic power is understood on a variety of levels, including ideological, political, institutional, discursive, epistemic, and social. And it is viewed as working through a process called socialization, wherein society's rules and expectations, including routine social interactions, to be certain ways and not others, and to accept certain things and not others. 
This process creates hegemony, which in turn is effective because systemic power is, as observed above, historical, automatic, and normalized. In other words, the status quo. The point of social justice is, ultimately, to use critical methods to study systemic power, usually in terms of dominance, oppression, and marginalization, and to generate radical activists who will change, disrupt, dismantle, subvert, or to seek to overthrow it by the remaking of the system itself. In other words, a revolution. On the ideological level, power is believed to work through hegemony, which is mostly maintained through institutions and discourses, how things are allowed to be spoken about. Social justice views ideologies as big, shared ideas of a society that are reinforced throughout all of the institutions and thus are very hard to avoid believing. In other words, a meta-narrative. The power to control people in this widespread belief that you'd be crazy not to accept is what is meant by hegemony. For example, social justice considers white supremacy to be the ideology that they claim maintains white privilege and white dominance of society, as critical race theory and whiteness studies describe it. That is, they believe that there is a big shared idea in our society, reinforced throughout all of the institutions of society, that whites are and should be privileged and maintain dominance of society, so much so that this is very hard to avoid believing. This tells you an awful lot about them, we think. And maybe if you've heard, and this is a side note, of someone by the name of Robin D'Angelo and White Fragility. This is the kind of nonsense that is propagated by people such as Robin D'Angelo. Now, given that our laws are no longer discriminatory in any direct sense, they are, in fact, in the United States, firmly anti-discriminatory, social justice identifies institutional power dynamics in terms of the existence of any disparate outcomes. The belief is that if there are any disparate outcomes that fall adversely to any minoritized group on average, at least part of the reason must be unjust institutionalized power dynamics or policies that impact minoritized groups unfairly. On this view, differences in outcome are treated as proof of institutionalized injustice any time those differences score negatively for minoritized groups, but not otherwise. You could compare as well how Asians and Jews tend to outperform whites in many areas of attainment, and rather than these being treated similarly, they are used to accuse groups like Asians and Jews of being white-adjacent, white, acting white, and so on, and adjusting policies so as to hamstring their opportunity in the name of equity. Let me also personally comment that I come from a mixed Latino background, and my wife is fully Chinese. Our families, and we personally have worked our fingers to the bone, saved, scrimped, and done everything that we could to make our lives the way that they are right now in order to empower our faith communities. And now, to try and save Western civilization. A great deal of interest 
and how the system of power operates in society under social justice is discursively, in terms of how things are considered legitimate, to be spoken about. This view owes much to the postmodern theorists, especially Michel Foucault, but also Jacques Derrida, who was obsessed with how power hides within language and thus shapes our reality. I'll be going into more depth on Jacques Derrida in an upcoming episode. But this view of Derrida is an example of why social justice has such an obsessive focus upon language and its uses, including microaggressive statements, problematic speech and writing, words with a history of offensiveness, and so on. The belief is that the unjust power of language is quasi-magical, and almost permanent is, thanks to postmodernism and the problematizing critical mindset, front and center throughout social justice. This manifests in practice in restricting speech in the name of inclusion and safety, seeing free speech as a false ideology that limits freedom, opportunity, and democracy, problematizing written and spoken words endlessly, and typically via close readings that go looking for offense and demands to use politically correct or inclusive language in all circumstances. Now, epistemics have to do with knowledge, and largely thanks to the Foucauldian ideas. Social justice is extremely concerned with who is considered able to produce knowledge and for what purposes. The belief is that knowledge is nothing more than a cultural artifact, one that automatically carries the biases of the group of people or culture that produced it, including their natural self-interest to maintain any power and privilege they have. This results in multiple knowledges that cannot be judged as any one being better than the other. You might also want to see cultural relativism, God's eye view, position, and standpoint epistemology that we have discussed thoroughly, especially in episodes one and two of the Trojan Horse videos. Now, this idea that multiple knowledges cannot be judged as being better than one another is dependent upon the set of cultural assumptions that went to making it, including the desire to perpetuate one's own dominance and privilege, which one is likely to be unaware of, even if not self-interested. A great deal of contemporary social justice theory is therefore directly concerned with theorizing knowledges in the plural. Concepts in this domain include cynical ideas like privilege-preserving epistemic pushback, active ignorance, willful ignorance, and pernicious ignorance, all of which are ways that people who belong to dominant groups allegedly resist learning more about oppression. Further concepts like white fragility and white complicity have been devised and deployed to explain further why members of privileged groups might reject critical methods and their rather uncomely accusations. All of this is applied in the service of defending the idea of epistemic oppression and also the related idea of epistemic violence, which attempts to posit that white culture doesn't equally value the epistemic worth of lived experience and, quote, ways of knowing, end quote, of minoritized groups, 
at least not as these are intercepted, through critical consciousness. Theory explains that this rejection isn't a rejection of theory due to its lack of merits, but follows instead because of a pituitive endorsement of underlying systemic racism, sexism, or other bigotry that white people don't want to engage with. Socially, the system is built to be self-maintaining through these processes, which lead people to be socialized into the system and accept it as ordinary, natural, and normal, or you could say the status quo. In other words, social justice believes that power in society is enormously significant and determinative, and it works along the lines of demographic groups as a result of self-interest and bigotry by those in dominant groups. In other words, the white, male, straight, able-bodied, thin, fit, etc. And is essentially the result of everybody brainwashing everyone constantly into believing that things always have been this way and therefore should always be this way. Every theoretical construct in social justice operates on this view of power. Feminism, for example explores it with regard to patriarchy, men having systemic power over women. Critical race theory explores it with regard to race. Queer theory and gender studies look at it in terms of sex, gender, and sexuality. Post-colonial theory looks at it in terms of national origin, indigeneity, and historical colonial status. But of course, only for European powers. Fat studies looks at it with regard to fat, or fatness, which it uses to avoid saying obesity, which it regards as a medicalizing narrative they must resist and thus not perpetuate. Disability studies looks at it with regard to ability status and ableism. Black feminism looks at it with mostly in terms of how black men and white women have it over black women, and intersectionality tries to mash the whole thing together into a sophisticated theory relying upon a matrix of domination that is supposed to sort out every relational privilege and oppression for everyone with regard to every possible meaningful group identity. This means that everything social justice talks about is this one thing. Systemic power, which it assumes from the outset is core to the structure of society and defines every possible social interaction. You could also say that this is wokeness. If you want to do social justice, all you have to do is consider any behavior or interaction and come up with some way to problematize it by finding the unjust systemic power within it and complaining about it in the hopes that someone will do something about it as a result. And then, of course, to complain about that, too. Put very directly, social justice is a vast and grotesquely simplistic conspiracy theory about social control, with no conspirators in particular, and the operant concept at the bottom of the whole worldview is the idea of systemic power, which works in mysterious and unjust ways. That, again, is from New Discourses in the Social Justice Encyclopedia. So the new social justice-minded, neo-Marxist-inspired, postmodern-molded system of the new technocratic overlords is based upon the concepts of equity, equal outcomes for all, by the uses of social justice. Not equal opportunity, 
but equal outcomes. And every system that we currently have in our society must be changed, must be demolished. So the new system that must be implemented is a cynical system. And every single system that we currently have, the old systems of education, economics, healthcare, our legal systems and justice systems, our faiths, our police and law enforcement systems, our environmental systems, our travel, our very way of life must be changed. The systems are old. And according to the way that they approach things, systemically, are evil. The old is evil. And the new is pure and well thought through, even though the ideas of the new come from guys like Karl Marx, Antonio Gramsci, Michel Foucault, Jacques Derrida. You might want to look some of those names up. But everything will be based upon a Foucauldian, Derridian, social justice-inspired, grievance-centered, vengeance-demanding system. That is what is being forced down your throats right now. And what is one of the absolute intrinsic qualities of this new system? Well, the new system is discriminatory. The new system discriminates. That is what intersectionality, our new framework system for nearly everything, faith, justice, health, politics, the economy, does. It discriminates. And as the great African-American scholar Thomas Sowell has stated, a society that puts equality in the sense of equality of outcome ahead of freedom will end up with neither equality nor freedom. The use of force to achieve equality will destroy freedom, and the force introduced for good purposes will end up in the hands of people who will use it to promote their own interests. These are wise words from Dr. Soul. So we must stop what is coming. Because you couldn't even imagine the horror and the totalitarian nightmarish control that is on the way. But I will faithfully and accurately describe it to you in the coming weeks. And I hope, I hope this podcast over the next few weeks will encourage a few men and women involved in this grand deception to speak up and step away. They have to. Or else... We're going to have the conversation without them. And in the next few days, we will address law enforcement, the police, and what is coming. We must help others to understand what is coming, how our entire society is being played, and even how those that are the loudest voices in the protests are all being used, used as chess pieces to accomplish a terrible, manipulative Cynical, great reset. A great reset you never knew anything about and never gave them permission to force upon you. It is time to get serious. It's time to understand the causes of things all around you right now, this very second. Our future depends upon it, and we must win. I am Michael O'Fallon, and this has been 
the causes of things.